Numbers chapter number 26, I'll be reading verse number 29. If you do not have a Bible, you can look up on the screen because it is up there now. The name of Amram's wife was Jochebed, the daughter of Levi, who was born to Levi in Egypt. And to Amram, she bore Aaron and Moses and their sister, Miriam. For the next few minutes, for the next little bit, I'm going to title this message, Choices. Choices. Look at your neighbor and say, you have a choice to make. Hopefully it's not about dinner right now. And you may be seated. To all of our guests, if this is your first time with us, I want you to be aware of something because you do not know me to the same extent as the regular members do as the Bethel family and so I'm going to make a statement right off right off of the bat by letting you know that I am not a researcher that is not my job I am also not a research assistant I have never been on a research team I have never been invited and I've never had a phone call and they call me and say you know what we like the way your mind works so much why don't you come and head up a division of research for us but I do like to look and find out what other people have researched. And the information I am about to give you, the reason I tell you right off the bat that I am not a researcher because I'm letting you know that I did not compile this data. These are not my numbers. Basically, I'm covering myself here. But I'm letting you know that this is not my information. This is a random survey, a random poll that they have conducted But the more that I read, the more that I studied, the more fun that I had with the numbers. And so while while finding articles and things, I, I found multiple articles and websites that suggested that on average, the adult human being, male and female, the average person, are you ready for how many choices that you are supposedly making every single day? 35,000. That's a lot. 35,000. Assuming that most people spend around seven hours a day sleeping, you're not making any conscious decisions during that time. That means that you're roughly making 2,000 decisions per hour. One decision every two seconds. You've made a decision to believe me or not, within the last two seconds. We're making decisions. And if that was not enough, I found that a majority of people will change their mind at least twice before coming to a final decision. That number, it bothered me because it just lets me know that the majority of people are indecisive because 87% of people will make multiple decisions they will change their minds multiple times. 11% of the people that were surveyed said they admitted to changing their minds at least a minimum of five times with every decision. Five times. That's a lot. That's the minimum that they said that they change. 
I, I began to look and I found the actual person that is a researcher and, and her name is Andreas Michelades and, and this is her quote. She said, decisions can be hard to make. Wow, just she blew my mind right there. Decisions can be hard to make and even once we've made them, sometimes they can be hard to follow through on. Ladies, have you ever wondered why it takes you lo so long to decide what to wear? Again, these are not my numbers. A poll of 2,000 people found that ladies will spend... Oh, help me, Holy Ghost. 29% of your day is spent on trying to decide what to wear. Huh. And here's the kicker. These are my words. Even after 29% of your day is spent trying to find out what to wear, you still never have anything to wear. <laughs> Help me. My God. Preach this thing. I'm going to preach this again on Pentecost Sunday. <laughs> Men, be careful. Some of you have ladies sitting beside you that you have to leave with, so I'm just saying. Don't start shouting yet. There was only one thing that actually spent more time. There was only one decision that you spend more time on than finding out what to wear. Are there any guesses? Do not raise your hand. Please do not say these out loud because just in case you're right, I want everyone to go home happy and safe. <laughs> According to that same study, 37% of the day is spent on, are you ready? Seatbelts fastened, trays are in the upright position because we're about to take off. The highest percentage of the entire study there was nothing higher than this 37% of your day is spent on deciding where to eat I'm only I'm only assuming because like I said I did not conduct the research but I'm only assuming that they are combining the things of what and where because believe me those are two different things because if you're trying to decide what to eat then you also before that are supposed to decide where that you are going to eat and where you decide to eat decides what you are going to eat and so you have to decide am I in the mood for Italian? <laughs> I'm, I'm preaching to the ladies right now brother Marty are you in the mood for McDonald's? oh help me Lord no. All of those things together. Researchers at Cornell University, they were proud of this. They put their name on this study. And they estimate that we make 226.7 decisions every single day on food alone. So good luck at lunch today. One writer tried to give reasons why it's so hard to choose. I told you I'm trying to help us this morning. If we can understand each other better, we can 
get along better. Because whenever we go to a restaurant, I'm just going to let you in on a, on a little bit of our, whenever my wife and I, when we go to a restaurant, I go in, I order the exact same thing that I order every time. It's just easy. I don't even need a menu. We go, there's, there's, a, there's a, a, restaurant, a Mexican restaurant in, in Bonterre that we would walk in and the guy in the back, the waiter did not even talk to me at all. The cook in the back looked and saw me and every time he saw me he would say, which one do you want? One of them had shrimp on the top and the other one had like a sauce on the top. And I would tell him number one or number two because it, it's, it's the same dish, just different toppings. But when we go to a restaurant, my wife gets, the, gets the, the menu out and she's torn between things. And then the waiter comes over and she looks at the waiter and says, what would you recommend? And I'm waiting because I know it's going to come. I know, and the waiter will like, well, are you torn between something? And she will give them a few choices, and then the waiter will do something like this, especially if it's a guy. Well, all of those sound good to me. <laughs> when we have a female waitress, she's, she's like, well, you know, my favorite is this, but I eat that too. They're, they're always just like, everything's good. I've only had a waitress one time that looked at my wife and said, yeah, I wouldn't order that. She was my favorite waitress in the entire world. I think we gave her a great, wonderful tip just for saying, yeah, don't order that. There's no way. I work here, and I know that I would not order that. 226.7 times a day. But Ashley tries to help us understand. Single gentleman in the house, I beg you, please take notes. There are pens out on the table. If we run out of pens, take notes. Husbands, maybe you need to take some notes because I'm about to give you some information that you're going to need. Ashley writes in her article, You might think you're making things easier by asking her to choose. But in reality, you are just throwing yourself into a whirlwind of confusion and utter frustration. Again, this is, this is a lady writing this, trying to help us men. Her top five reasons. Number one, ladies, you do this because you don't want to seem too picky. You say, I don't care, but everyone in this house knows, yes, you do. I've, I've been in those moments, and I've said, well, what about this? No, I don't want that then why didn't you say that? You said you didn't care, and I would say something else. I don't want that either. Then you do care. It's utter confusion. Number two, you don't want us to know about your weird food tendencies. You don't want us, number three, you don't want us to see how little self-control you actually have when it comes to eating. Again, a woman, a woman wrote this, not a man. This is probably, of all of them, the most truthful one. Number four. This one actually kind of hurt a little bit. You do this because you want to pretend that you actually care about our feelings too. And number five, you actually have no idea what you want to eat, and so you just say, I don't care. I was told by a very wise man, that has many years of marriage under his belt. The real reason why women don't like choosing where to eat. He's a semi-retired Bible college 
professor. He's been a pastor. He preaches out. Brother Bowman, did I miss anything about your resume? This man is full of wisdom. When you're around him, you just feel peace, harmony. Brother Bowman makes everything better. And Brother Bowman gave me this bit of wisdom, and I'm going to paraphrase because no one can tell a joke like Brother Bowman. But the first and last woman ever recorded in history to decide where to eat and what to eat is Eve. (laughs) And the real reason why women refuse to pick where to eat is because the last time one of them did, she got everyone kicked out of the restaurant. I gave all of that information just so I could tell that joke. But it does not change the fact. Brother Cameron, is there another slide that says choices too? So this is my title slide. Those are not corn dogs. Those are bulrushes. There was another slide that I was going to use. It's just choices two. Will you put that up there? Choices number two. I was going to use this one as my title slide, but I figured I would not be able to keep anyone's attention because I had it on one screen of my computer, and I kept looking over going, wow, that's Jack Stack barbecue sauce. That's, uh, those are the wings that I always get. So, brother, brother Cameron, put it back on the other one real quick, please. But all of those are about choices. Choices that we make each and every day. All joking aside, there are some choices that we make that are very easy. There are choices that we do not even think about, but we are simply making them because they are a part of who we are. They're a part of our pattern. They're a part of our routine. They're a part of everything that we do, and so we make those choices. And then there are choices that are not as easy to make. Perhaps you have had choices like this and and you wrestled with them and you changed your mind five or six, seven, eight, nine, or ten times because the choice was that important. You wanted to make sure that you were making the right choice. When we make choices about our spiritual relationship and following after the will of God, there are times that that we will go and we will pray and, and, and we will feel that we have the direction, but we want to make sure that it's the right choice because we want to make sure that we are in the will of God because our choices have a way of determining who we actually are. They can also determine who that we want to be. Choices will show your priorities. They will show what matters to you because what matters to you will be what happens with what choices that you make. The author Roy Bennett wrote these words. Attitude is a choice. Happiness is a choice. Optimism is a choice. Kindness is a choice. Giving is a choice. Respect is a choice. Whatever choice you make makes you so choose wisely our choices matter there's no one that is more aware of this fact than the hero of our story this morning we are first introduced in the Jochebed in Exodus chapter 2 even though we are not told her name much of what we actually know about her is recorded 
in the first 10 verses of Exodus chapter 2. She was of the house of Levi. She was married to Amron and their sons would become the first priest of Israel. Most consider this passage to be a scripture about the story of Moses. And in most ways, many ways, you could say that that is correct. But without a conscious decision, without a conscious choice by his mother, there would not be a story of Moses at all. Without a decision that she makes, there would not be an Exodus chapter 2. There would not be an Exodus chapter 1 because there would not be a Moses. We find in Exodus chapter 1 and verse 6, Joseph died and all of his brethren and all that generation and the children of Israel were fruitful. They increased abundantly and multiplied. They waxed exceeding mighty and the land was filled with them. And then there arose a new king over Egypt which knew not Joseph. Verse 13, And the Egyptians made the children of Israel to serve with rigor. They made their lives bitter with hard bondage. They made it with, with mortar and brick, all manner of service in the field, all of their service wherein they made them serve. They made them do it with rigor. The king of Egypt spake to the Hebrew midwives, of which the, the name of one was Shipra and, and the name of the other Pua. And, and he said, When you do the office of a midwife to the Hebrew women and see them upon the stools, if it be a son, then you shall kill him. But if it be a daughter, then she shall live. Verse 22, the end of the chapter ends with, And Pharaoh charged all his people, saying, Every son that is born ye shall cast into the river, and every daughter ye shall save alive. The children, the men, the next generation, and then enters the real heroine of the book of Exodus. And there went out a man of the house of Levi and took a wife, a daughter of Levi. And the woman conceived and bare a son. And when she saw him, that he was a goodly child, she hid him three months. And when she could no longer hide him, she took him an, an ark of, of bulrushes and dabbed it with slime and with pitch and put the child therein. And she laid it in the flags by the river bank. Pharaoh was afraid because the children of Israel had multiplied. According to Josephus, one of those sacred scribes who were very, they, 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 they were foretelling future events. They told the king that about this time there will be a child that is going to be born to the Israelites who if he is reared would bring the Egyptian dominion low. He would raise the Israelites and they would excel all men in virtue and obtain a glory that would be remembered throughout all ages. And so Pharaoh said, I will not lose dominion in my world. I'm going to destroy the next generation. Jochebed had a choice. She could have given in to the pressure. She, should, she could drown her own son. She could hide him not only at risk to her but at risk to him. She had something of a choice to make. And may I please speak to you this morning. Ladies, please hear me. The prince and the power of the air is after the next generation. The plan has not changed. There is still a plan to destroy the next generation 
I am not trying to be sensational this morning. I remember when a big, a, a major concern for preachers and, and for pastors and youth pastors and, and for the church was whether or not we, we would preach and we would tell how that a minor is not is allowed to have an abortion without even speaking to their parent or asking parental consent but to baptize someone under the age of 18 we had to have signed papers had to have permission I, I I, I, I stand this morning that I can tell you I've had to be a part of one of these conversations and I had to answer the questions because the daughter came to one of the youth services and she, she gave her heart and her life to God. She had had a troubled past and, and she just turned everything over to God. She poured it out at the altar. God filled her with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. I watched as depression lifted off of her and there was a smile on her face that people had not seen in years and and yet I still had to call and ask permission if I could baptize her or not and because of other things that had happened in this young lady's life I also had to get a hold of a social worker to ask permission to simply baptize her in the name of Jesus I wish I wish that was our concern today I wish that was the biggest thing that we had to face. I, I, I know that that may sound bad, but when I look at where our world is today, we have schools that are now saying they are safe places for children to express their true sexuality. According to the AP Associated Press, a leading transgender health association has lowered its recommended minimum age for starting gender transition treatment including sex hormones and surgeries. The World Professional Association of Transgender Health said now hormones could be started at the age of 14. 14 years old. We can't vote till we're 18. But you know enough, you've decided enough that at 14 you can decide whether or not you want to change your life forever. I know, I know, that's, that's somewhere else. That could never happen here. St. Louis Children's Hospital has a page dedicated on its website. This is a direct quote. I'm not going to add or take away. What to expect. Your visit to the Transgender Center at the Washington University Transgender Center at St. Louis Children's Hospital. We've worked to create a safe and affirming space where kids and young adults can express how they feel and what they're looking for. I wish the only thing we had to worry about was whether or not I had to have permission to baptize a person under the age of 18. I, I wish... That's all that we had to worry about. I, I remember things like we used to have to worry about what, is, what, what are young people listening to. Is that rock and roll? What kind of music is that? Rap. I remember, Eddie, <laughs> I had a little bitty purple Nissan. I was styling, profiling. 
my dad had got a car and had 10 inch kicker speakers and subs for that, you know, that bass sound. Boom, boom, boom. I came home one day. <laughs> that thing was, I thought it was, sounded good. My dad walks out and meets me in the driveway. <laughs> what are you listening to? It's just music, Dad. What are you listening to, boy? I don't ever want to hear that again in your truck. So he didn't. I turned it down before I got to the house. <laughs> then I repented. I, I've, I've asked for forgiveness. I wish that's all we had to worry about now. I, I, I wish and I, I, I somehow I, I know that, that we can look around and, and say, oh, well, even though that's, that's still the city, that's the metro area, are you, are you ready for something a little bit closer to home? Kirkwood, Missouri, over this last week, their high school yearbook is called What It Means. There's an entire section, according to the news, that has students answering questions about drugs, Alcohol, the hookup culture at the school. There are pictures of Plan B or the morning after pill. Pregnancy test. They ask questions about certain places that they have actually hooked up at school. That's 17 miles away from here. 17 miles. Understand me, I'm not trying to be sensational this morning. But I want to let someone know this morning that I am here to sound an alarm and let us know that the enemy is after the next generation. He not only wants the next generation, but he wants this generation. He wants the generation that is coming up. And as horrible as it may sound, as we look around, it may look like it's really bad, but I actually have hope this morning. I have a hope because before me there are ladies and you have decided that you are going to stand in the gap you are going to pray you are going to fast you are going to be men you are going to not be men but you are going to be women of power women of prayer you are powerful you are anointed you are called by God and there is nothing that hell can send your way that you are not able to overcome that you are not able to withstand you are going to make a difference you are going to change the tide of this world because we are sending abound there's a lady that says there's grace, there's grace, there's power, there's anointing, there's someone that's going to stand in the gap. Here's what I know. I know that there are women because I have heard you pray. I've heard you pray. I've heard you tell how that you are still praying. You've been praying for 30 years. Grandmas, you've been praying for 30 years. Mamas, you've been praying for 10, 15, 20, 25, 30 years. And you're not about to stop now. That gives me hope. That lets me know that no matter how dark it gets, the darkness cannot stop the light. And there's still going to be a woman that is going to make the choice to stand in the gap and say I'm here and I'm going to pray I'm going to worship I'm going to magnify I'm going to exalt I'm going to be an example of godliness I'm going to show true holiness that is acceptable unto God last week as I was preaching I used the scripture 
Ezekiel 22 and 30. And I sought for a man among them that should make up the hedge and stand in the gap before me for the land and that I should not destroy it. But I found none. I sought for a man among them. And I already knew the direction that I was going. But as I was preaching, and I read that, this is what popped into my mind. It's almost like I could see it. I, was, I have no idea how the anointing works. But as I was preaching, I was giving everything that I had to the message. But God was giving me, the best way I can say, it's a vision of what was actually going on. And in the vision, there was a little gray-haired lady that was standing there. And the voice of the Lord went out and said, I'm looking for a man, and I cannot find them. And in the middle of a crowd, this little lady raised her hand. And all of a sudden, as she stood, she was feeble and weary. And she raised her hand and said, will a woman do? I need somebody to understand this morning that there are powerful women of God that are in this house. It's all about whether or not you're willing to make the choice to pray, to fast, to be godly, to live an example in front of people, in front of children. Is there anybody that says, I'm willing to make the choice? If you can't find a man, will a woman do? I couldn't help, but I was just overwhelmed. I was thinking about it at my desk last night and I, I, I just kept, it just kept going over and over in my mind and I was sitting there and I could just almost hear, I could just hear it and I could hear as they began to, as they began to ask, another one stood and said, I will pray, I will pray. Ladies, I want you to know that you're powerful, you're anointed, so please let that prayer out. Let that prayer out of you. Let it flow out of you. Let the anointing, don't hold back. Don't wait on anybody else. There's an anointing on your life and nobody can pray like you can pray. Nobody can worship like you can worship. There's nobody that can do it too like you can. Last week, I tried to warn you, tried to tell you, but last week there was a ladies' meeting. Church was over. I was in the back for the stand for the Marty. We were in the back checking on some stuff that was going on back there. And ladies are up here. They're deciding about somewhere to go to eat. It's a long meeting. About 7:30, I was like, no. That's right. I have a new fan. I like it. <laughs> but we're back there looking at things, and all of a sudden, there's a roar that just comes through those doors. We're like, whoa. It didn't matter what had happened in the bathroom. We came running. But the stand's there. But the Marty's actually kind of where he's at now, and I was standing in between them. Stan was like, man, I had to see what was happening. I didn't want to miss what was going on. 
Marty leans over and says, this, he told me that he was talking to Sister Michelle about it. And he said, this is what happens when ladies get together. There's a power that they carry with them. And when they begin to support each other, we better look out because God is about to move. Can I tell somebody something? That in the middle of, an, of a time of deciding and making plans, there was a need that was presented and all of a sudden people began to gather around. There was tongues. People began to pray. There was an anointing that moved. And I'm believing that healing power began to flow right there. Why? Because you're powerful, ladies. There's an anointing that flows through you. Don't you dare hold it back. You let those tongues flow. You let that anointing flow. You let the gifts of the Spirit flow. I believe that you can lay hands on the sick and they're going to recover. I believe that you can speak life. That you can prophesy. I believe the anointing of God rests on you. Choices. Choices. So mama, keep on praying. Grandmama, Mimi, whatever it is that you were called, Meemaw, Mamaw, I get lost. You. <laughs> I was talking to one of the kids and, and I used like, I called my mom Mamaw and then their other grandma, Debbie, they call her Mimi. I'm pretty sure that's what it is. And I think I called my mom Mimi. And Corbin looked at me and was like, nope, that's Mamaw. Straightened me right out. Mamaw, Mamaw, keep praying. Don't you give up. Don't you give in. It doesn't matter to me. Aunts, sisters, cousins, I want you to keep praying. I know it's Mother's Day, but I'm talking to every lady in the house. You're powerful. There's an anointing that rests on you. There's a power that flows through you. You're a part of the story. You're a part of the bride. You make a difference. I can tell you, the ladies in my own life, they are not blood related. They were Sunday school teachers. I've told you of Sister Helen. I've told you of how that every time that I would go back home to Louisiana and I would walk in that church, Sister Helen would walk out and she would walk directly to me and say, this is what thus saith the Lord for you. Every single time she would give me a word that I would drive nine hours just to hear what God had spoken to me all through a lady that knew how to pray, that cared about children enough to take time and teach them in Sunday school I need someone to understand that you can make a difference in a life you can make a difference in somebody you can change the trajectory of their future there's another star in the story of Moses that's not Jochebed she was not Eve more than likely, she was not even family. Exodus 1, chapter 17, verse 17 and verse 20. But the midwives feared God and did not as the king of Egypt commanded them, but saved the men children alive. 
Therefore, God dealt well with the midwives and the people multiplied and waxed very mighty. Hear me this morning, please. They may not be your flesh and blood, but they can have a story because of you. They may not call you mom. They may not call you Mima or Mamma, but they can have a story because of you. You may be the only one that's standing between them and hell. You may be the one that's standing between hell and the greatest evangelist that our world has ever seen. You may be the one that touches the life of the greatest prophet that our world has ever seen. It may be you that finds the next pastor of this church, the next preacher, the next worship leader, the next youth pastor, the next children's minister. It may be you that finds the next greeter, the next person that prays. It may be you because you've decided I'm going to make a choice and even though they're not mine I'm going to pray for them I'm going to have a burden for them I'm going to impact their life I'm going to show them that there's hope and there's a way out that they do not have to give in to this world the pressures of this world are to fit in or be cancelled you either agree with our belief system or doctrine or we will attack you. We are living in a world like I have never seen in my life. But I still believe the scripture that says where sin did abound. Grace did much more abounded. It doesn't matter to me how dark it gets because I know that there is still grace. It doesn't matter to me. Oh, yes, I would love for things to change, but it's not going to happen. More likely than not, it's going to get worse, but there's still going to be a bride. There's still going to be a church that has made herself ready. There's still going to be a revival because in those same last days, he's going to pour out his spirit upon all flesh. Your sons, your daughters, your handmaidens, and your maidservants hear me this morning. There's got to be somebody that's willing to stand in the gap. There's got to be somebody that's willing to make a choice because somebody's got to let them know there's grace for you. There's hope for you. There's deliverance for you. There's peace for you. I know you're confused. I know you're wondering. You've got all of these voices, but you can silence the enemy. You can tell him to shut his mouth. You can take dominion and authority over it, and you can speak life. You can speak healing. You can speak deliverance. It's all in the choice that you make I know you may not be from the tribe of Levi you may not be from the tribe of Levi either you're saying I don't have a, a history a pedigree who am I I can't make a difference can I? Well, I'm glad you ask. Because I'm going to read something to you from Matthew chapter 1. The book and the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abram begat Isaac, 
Isaac begat, begot Jacob. Jacob begot Judah and his brothers. Judah begot Perez and Zerah and by Tamar. Perez begot Hezron and Hezron begot Ram. Ram begot Aminadab. Aminadab begot Nashon and Nashon begot Solomon, Salmon. I don't know. I tried to find it. I looked it up. There's a guy that I go to on YouTube. And basically, it sounded like he just said salmon. And I was like, look, I've already showed them pictures of barbecue. I'm not going to start talking about salmon, too. But salmon begot Boaz by Rahab. Boaz begot Obed by Ruth. Obed begot Jesse. And Jesse begot David, the king. Verse 17, so all the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations from David until the captivity in Babylon are 14 generations and from the captivity in Babylon until the Christ are 14 generations verse 5 is the verse that I want to focus on it tells us about two moms the mother of Boaz is Rahab the mother of Obed is Ruth Rahab, where have I heard that name before? How about in Hebrews? By faith, the harlot, whoa. By faith, the harlot, Rahab, did not, did not perish with those who did not believe when she had received the spies with peace. Your choices matter. See, Rahab was a Canaanite. She was a Gentile. She was other things. But one choice changed it all. One choice changed the future. One choice changed everything. The choice that said who I am right now is not who I will always be. Ruth, you were given a choice. Naomi said, leave. Find another husband. Be happy. I, I, I'm old. I, even, if, even if I found a husband and, and, and I, I was able to give birth to another son by the time that he was old enough to marry, no, go back home. Find a husband. Be happy. Orpah chose to go home, and that's the last we hear of her. But Ruth, Ruth made a choice. Ruth said, Entreat me not to leave thee or to return from following after thee. For whether thou goest, I will go. And where thou lodgest, I will lodge. Thy people shall be my people. And thy God, it's gonna, he will be my God. Where thou diest, I will die. And there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me. And more also, if aught be death, but death part thee and me. Ruth, you're a, you're from, you're a Moabite. You're a Gentile. I want someone to hear me. There are two Gentiles that are mentioned in that verse and they are both in the lineage of Jesus Christ and it all happened because someone decided to make a choice. So please 
do not tell me that your choices do not matter. Or who am I? Your choices can change your destiny. Your choices can change everything about you. Their choices put them in the bloodline of Jesus Christ. Can we stand? Some musicians come. I have hope this morning. Ladies, you give me hope. I love hearing you pray. I love the anointing that you carry. I love watching as you just gather around and you begin to bear one another's burdens. I know some of us, some of you may not be as young as you were. You can't do everything that you want to do. But there's still so much you can do. Because there's a younger generation that needs someone to tell them and to show them this is how you pray. There are young ladies that are going to need to ask you questions that they don't feel comfortable asking the guys. They need you to model holiness in front of them. They need you to model worship. And I know you may, you may be tired and you have to sit, but worship that comes from the heart, even if it's just a raised hand. Oh, Mom tells the story of Brother Trammell's grandmother in Festus. She had gotten to an age of she was not able to do everything that she used to. She was not as stable. She was not able to worship like she wanted to. And so Mom said that she would grab to the end of the bench and she would just kind of move and sway holding on to the bench for strength. Strength. Oh, the power. Your story is not over yet. There are things that you are still able to give. There's nothing greater than watching one of you take a younger person under your wing and love them, encourage them, believe in them. So here's what I'm going to ask. I'm going to ask all of the ladies, if you would, to just come stand in the front and face me. I don't want to embarrass anyone, so if you do not feel comfortable, but if you would, would you just come and join the front? No one's going to do anything we're just going to pray over you